and welcome to The Good Robot Addies, Season 5, Episode 12, a climactic episode. My na- Very much so. Well, yes. My name is Andy Balaam and this is... Andy Cockerell. Um, and this evening we are going to be discussing number one. One, 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 one. one. one in the uh, top 30 horror movies of the 20th century. And this evening is a very special episode. Yeah, it is. Because... Do you want to tell people why it's special? <laughs> it's special <laughs> because we have, um, we have a chat... We have a live chat room because we're, we're broadcasting live over the internets. The internets, you say? The internets. Uh, we're Lord. using the internets for broadcasting live... And we have a chat room. And uh, if you had been here at artificialworlds.net slash goodrobotandies slash live, you would have been able to listen to a low-quality stream of us saying exactly the same stuff that we say normally. <laughs> but So it, it may well be a low-quality stream, but it's high-quality balance. It's high-quality content. <laughs> I mean, we only deliver the high-quality content. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so exactly the same stuff as we say normally. Um, but slightly more distracted because we're trying to keep an eye on the live chat that's happening well, at the same time. Uh, you are. I'm trying to hold everything else together. Yeah, I've instructed Andy C that he should focus on <laughs> high quality yeah. bands, and I'll be which I'm distracted. which I'm going. That's what I'm definitely going for. So I've got the mastodons open. I've got the twitters open. I've got the Is live chats open. Cool. Um, We've got everything's open. We've got a couple of people like um, against our commonly held belief that we have one listener. There are actually two people in the live chat. We've got two listeners. So at least at least at this exact moment, we've probably got two listeners. Fantastic. There we go. So how are you, Andy C? I'm very well, thank you. I'm busy. You're busy. Busy, yes. Busy watching movies. Yeah. Uh, Busy. Yeah. Busy streaming podcasts. Yes, indeed. Uh, not busy with the radio show anymore because I don't do that stuff no more. Right, which makes you a bit less busy, so you can watch TV. I can I can catch up some up on some TV. So I've caught up on <coughs> uh, a show called Stranger Things. Right, that's supposed to be on, addictive. It is, yeah. So that's on Netflix, uh, and another Netflix show called Star Trek Discovery, which is, um, yeah. which is d- dividing people Star yet Trek, again. Though. I mean, who cares? Yeah. I really like it. Okay. Yeah, actually, uh, Kathy just said, oh dear, I admitted to get myself a drink to go along with this. Yeah. Ellipsis. Uh, oh dear, so did I, Kathy. Oh dear. So, um, yes. That's problematic, because Dapper has got a can of Radio Zombie phone-in. Oh, okay. He sent me a picture, sent us a picture of it on the Mastodons. Oh, okay. You're going to have to post that somewhere where I can see it, because I don't have Mastodons on my... Anything that I can... Uh, Let me see if I can post a link to the the, the toot itself. Okay. Um, so, yes, catching up on those TV shows. Busy at home. Oh, there we go. Let's see if you can see that toot. Actually, that's, that's Dapper's whole feed. I can see the whole feed. There you go. Um, can't see the picture of a can of... Zombie. Oh, hang on. No. No, I'm not. I'm not going down that rabbit hole right now. So. Um. <laughs> one more go. I'm going to have one more go at copying a link. Okay. To, right. Copying a link yeah, to the okay. tweet. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's going to work. 
<laughs> this te- technology is very difficult. Is it time for a fail sound? <laughs> oh, I might be able to copy. Hang on, I might be able to copy a link to the um, actual. I wouldn't worry about it too image. much right now. Should we? Should we crack on? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Hey. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was the image. <laughs> yes. Radio zombie phoning. Cool. So the podcast listeners who are not listening to this live are quite bored at this point. Yes, they're thinking, get on with it. So uh, let's get on with it. Yes, yeah, uh, we've got we've got some correspondence. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, from Kathy, mm-hmm. who said uh, she's up to date. Seems seems excited about that, which is always good. Yeah, she's on the chat. Um, so she's very. Uh, she said she, she's seen Alien, and she said it was amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. She also said, in regard to my <coughs> talking about <coughs> the sad passing of Penny Marshall, mm-hmm. she said, I love Big. I'm ashamed to say that I had no idea it was a female director. And even worse, that I almost didn't think there were any mainstream female directors be- before Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, she seems to have Plus, cornered the market. Awakenings. Plus Awakenings. What a tearjerker. Yeah, that's good. Indeed. That's good. Um, and then she goes on to say, I do know what Foley is. Yeah. Impressed. Uh, prob- <laughs> probably from the Lord of the Rings making of films. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're very exhaustive in their technical um, detail. If you watch enough DVD extras, you can learn anything. You can learn something. Um, also, the gentleman professor, him indoors, him of the drive-by snort, <laughs> uh, presumably, yeah. uh, hated Prometheus. Uh, I don't yeah. think he's alone there. No, everyone hates Prometheus. Uh, and in brackets, she says, I haven't seen it, of course. Why is that, of course? Can Cathy expand on that whilst, whilst we're on the air? Meanwhile, Cathy has commented that even she is a little bit bored. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was 50 seconds ago, so yeah, maybe yeah. maybe things have moved yeah, on. Yeah, I think it's then. really hotted up since then. So. <laughs> and then she says she's excited about the live live broadcast, but clearly not <laughs> yeah. that excited. I think the excitement has receded. In the moment. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, that's, our, that's our correspondence. Yeah, well, Should we do a rundown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do a rundown. So for for listeners' um, benefit, this all started back in the summertime, I think. We, uh, we started this countdown. A long old time ago. Yeah. So um, I think for all of these, Andy B's got a one-word or maybe hyphenated two-word synopsis. No, that's a hyphenated word is one word. Okay. We've been clear about it. So uh, at number 30, we have Gremlins. Uh Commercial, also a children's film. Someone pointed out to me today. They agreed with me that it doesn't belong on this list. Okay, I don't care if they agree with no. you. <laughs> I still like it. Uh, number twenty-nine is Near Dark. Uh, haven't seen it. Number twenty-eight is Altered State. Haven't seen it, but it's a bit pretentious. Yes. Uh, number twenty-seven is Hellraiser. Um. um necessary. Number twenty-six is the Blair Witch Project. Um, Versimilitudinous Number 25 is Jacob's Ladder Cathy says she's not bored now that we're talking about her <laughs> Okay uh, Creepy Cathy does know the purpose of this podcast is to talk about a movie, right? Not talk about her This is the problem with live streaming People, are, people <laughs> say things in the chat and it's distracting and then it's boring But then it's funny uh, and number 24, Nosferatu. Um, uh, classic. Number 23, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, influential. Number 22, The Wicker Man. 
Uh, terrifying. Number 21, Carrie. Um, disappointing. Number 20, Silence of the Lambs. Relatable. Very much so. Uh, number 19, Audition. Uh, extreme. Number 18, Ring. Pepper is following along with, with the one-word reviews that I did in other <laughs> episodes oh, okay. that were probably we're better. Oh, okay. We'll have to look at those in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it? Sorry. Uh, ring at number 18. Um, fresh. Number 17, Psycho. Um, Genre-defining. Number 16, The Fly. Uh, fun. Number 15, Event Horizon. Derivative. Number 14, An American Werewolf in London. Uh, also fun, but teenage as well. Number 13, The Sixth Sense. Mm, lonely. Number 12, The Omen. Um, I never really had a good word for The Omen. Hmm. Portentous. Oh, I like it. Okay. Uh, number 11, Don't Look Now. Uh, haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, number 10, The Haunting. Uh, creaky. Number 9, I'm, I'm teeing you up for this one. <laughs> number 9, Evil Dead 2. Groovy. <laughs> Excellent. Number 8, Rosemary's Baby. Paranoid. Uh, number 7, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Haven't seen it. Surprising. Num- uh, yeah, I think you'd like it. Number six, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Amazing. Number five, Night of the Living Dead. Um, uh, very important to me. Number four, The Thing. I haven't seen it. I'm glad I haven't seen it because John Carpenter films are boring. Number three, The Shining. Overrated. Blimey. Number two, <laughs> Alien. Um... Fear itself. Which brings us to number one. Number one. We're finally there. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, number one is a 1973 American supernatural horror film. Okay, I'm going to guess. It's, Go on, then. Uh, I think it's one of the two joint winners from my Twitter poll of what people thought would be number one. Okay. I think and, it's uh, Mamma Mia. It's not Mamma Mia. Oh. It's actually uh, a lesser-known uh, movie called Walking on Sunshine that was released a few years later. That's another... No, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, it's neither of those. Right. I think having to watch Mamma Mia would probably fill me with more horror even uh, than The Exorcist. Well, funny you should say that because the film at number one is The Exorcist. The Exorcist. I thought it might be because it was missing from the top Yes. First. Conspicuously missing from the top 30. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, adapted by William Peter Blatty from his 1971 novel of the same name. Oh, I didn't realise that the, the writer mm. also... And directed, famously directed by William Friedkin, mm-hmm. who was hot off um, oh, The French Connection. Oh, right. Okay. So, and he was given free reign because the French connection was successful. Is that a thing? Um, he was given some reign, I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was given a lot of time to do this. The, the movie that you're thinking of is Sorcerer. Oh, right. Okay. Sorcerer was where he really. So he was basically given the keys to the kingdom for Sorcerer. Right, right, right. right. Is that because the it... Exorcist did well? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I, um, I'd just like to say hello to a listener's wife. Ah. 
Excellent. Um, and also note that Dapper guessed that number one would be Jaws. Oh, okay. That's an interesting one. Um, I don't... I mean, Jaws does have horrific elements, but I don't really think it's a straight-up horror movie. What is it, then? Um, it's a paranoid thriller. It's a Men on a Mission movie. It is a thriller, but I think it could be a horror. I mean, it's got a, it's got it's a scary got thing in it. It does have scary stuff in it, but I'd, but um, that that is a good call. Actually, maybe we should talk about it in the wash. Oh, let's. I'll, have, yeah. I'll ruminate on that we, and talk about. Listen, we're we have a document we're using to um, note down all our notes for the wash up session, all the things we have to discuss. So, do su- yes. do suggest things we should talk about, and yours is probably one we should talk about. Right. Okay. Um, uh, I do love Jaws, by the way. Jaws is one of my favourite movies. Yeah, I think, right. arguably, uh, one of Spielberg's best, even though it was only his first proper feature, t- uh, like movie feature. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it definitely shows the like uh, I'm a sort of master filmmaker at work, but I'm not that keen on it. Okay, it's okay. I will um, watch it again. Is what I'm saying. All right. Uh, so the 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 Exorcist stars Ellen Burstyn. Linda Blair, Max Bonsido, and Jason Miller, among a sort of a supporting cast of others. And the film is part of the Exorcist franchise, which is actually a thing, although it wasn't a thing back then. Um, it's become a thing since then. What, what do you mean it is a thing? Well, there, were, there was a sequel, I think, that, was, that came out in the 70s, directed by John Borman, uh, called The Exorcist Two. The Heretic, which Mark Kermode says is the worst film ever made. <laughs> I have it to watch, but I just haven't plucked up the courage to sit down and watch it yet because I'm expecting to be, Could be disappointing. massively disappointed. Mm. Yeah. Um, then in the early 90s, I think, uh, William Peter Blatty wrote a novel called Legion, which is a fantastic sequel to The Exorcist. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, in which some of the principles return mm. uh, and some weird stuff happens, weird stuff happening in Georgetown, um, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and he then adapted that into a movie that was kind of butchered by Warner Brothers quite badly. Um, and that has recently had a makeover on Blu-ray by... Uh, Fright Factory or Fifth, I think it's Fright Factory who make um, sort of horror movie Blu-rays and DVDs. Okay, so what so you mean? It's been res- re-edited and stuff. Yeah, it's been re-edited and restored with um, monitor footage, so not movie footage, but VHS footage has been inserted. Okay, so uh, it's the same, like it's the same film then. But are you saying the film was actually fine, but they it, kind of ruined it, it? They've well, I think Warner Brothers ruined it. I think that. What Fright Factory have tried to do is return it to what Blatty intended, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting, um, interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think it entirely succeeds, but it does kind of follow the book a bit more closely. Okay, but and you cool. like the book? The book is fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you were to read The Exorcist and Legion back to back, well, a you would be. Um, scared you know scared out of your wits yeah uh but also uh they are a really good read you know real page turners i think blatty blatty was a very talented writer he died a couple of years ago um 
and in honour of his passing, I watched The Exorcist and sort of got a new appreciation of it, um, having known that he was uh, not just a novel writer, he was also a screenwriter. He wrote the screenplay for a, an Inspector Clouseau movie called A Shot in the Dark. Um, so he was good with comedy, um, although you wouldn't say that The Exorcist is a very funny film, although it does have <laughs> some funny lines in it. Not very many, though. No. has to be said there's some wry humour but there's not much um, a, it definitely takes itself seriously it does and, and that I think is what stands it apart from movies of that period mm-hmm. um, of this type that would maybe be on the slightly jokey side or not really take themselves or their audience very seriously mm-hmm. uh, this film absolutely does that so Friedkin was or I suppose is still a social realist. Mm -hmm. So he likes to present the truth of a situation on screen. He doesn't really like to dress it up and um, go for flights of fancy. And The Exorcist sticks to that kind of ethos. So it's almost taking the sensibility of the, The French Connection, which is a very serious cop movie, and transplanting it into a supernatural horror film. Yeah, and that's what's so fun about it. It, Yeah. It... It, um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I love that about... I was talking today to someone about Let the Right One In. Yes. And I think that does the same thing. It, it it doesn't admit to anyone that it's a horror film. You know, it's, no. it's just a film about a real thing that's really happening. Yeah, so, um, so The Exorcist has that strand running through it. Um, it is to me, a story of not just an exorcism, because the exorcism actually happens quite late on in the movie Mm -hmm. and doesn't last that long in terms of the running time. Um, But what really makes it work is uh, this this little girl, Reagan McNeil, who is, her parents have broken up. Her dad is not in the United States. He's somewhere else. Her mum is an actress who's having struggling on set with a director who seems to be drunk most of the time. And Reagan McNeil is kind of is a bit lonely. Um, and she reaches out. She starts using a Ouija board and she, you know, sort of reaches out looking for a friend. But she finds, you know, something that, she, that nobody really bargained for. And what, what it's about is, to me, uh, or at least this is how the movie starts, is... The mum, Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn, desperately trying to find out what is wrong with her daughter. And that Mm. is, you know, that's the majority of the running time is going into hospital and undergoing tests, psychiatric tests, Mm. and all of them just coming up negative. You know, as far as medical science can tell, there's nothing wrong with her. You know, she's functioning perfectly well. And yet there is something very wrong with her outwardly. Mm So her last resort is to, is to go and speak to uh, Father Karras, played by Jason Miller, mm-hmm. and say, "What do I have to do to get an exorcism?" Does she and does she believe in demonic possession? I'm not sure she believes in it, but but she is at her wit's end, and she doesn't know what else to do. Yeah, so she's maybe starting to believe in it. Maybe starting to believe in it. Yeah. Um, Karras is sceptical about 
the fact that you know because there hasn't been a case of demonic possession for a long time that's what's so effective exorcism for a long that's time that's what's so effective about the film that the yeah the even the people who are supposed to believe in this stuff are really skeptical about it and um, yeah really looking to find a different explanation and yeah. But there is one who is not sceptical about it. Who, the one who's done it before. Exactly, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about him in a moment. But So Miller, he, in a standout, just one of many standout moments from the movie, he goes to, to see Reagan and speak to her. And some slightly weird stuff happens whilst he's in the room. Uh and he he sprays her with holy water and she reacts really violently. Does she speak he in a strange voice? Speak... <clears throat> yes, she does. Yeah. <clears throat> but two things about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I should have got a drink. <clears throat> two things about that are um, give him doubt. The first one is that he says to Chris McNeil, this isn't holy water, it's just normal tap water. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the right, other thing is right. that he records Reagan speaking in a funny voice. And when he plays it back, he realises... Well, actually, he gives it to someone to analyse. <clears throat> and they say, it is a language, it's English backwards. Okay. So he remains unconvinced. So if it was Latin, you'd be like, oh, it's definitely a demon. Yes, exactly. Because demons and, speak Latin. Well, yes, they speak Latin very well. Yeah. Things like they're all classically educated. <laughs> yeah. So although Reagan does speak to him in French, um, oh, really? she doesn't speak any. Yeah, uh, la plume de ma tante. <laughs> la plume de ma tante. La plume de ma tante. <laughs> Un baguette, um, vous plaît. He he um he remains unconvinced of that. Uh, until her condition deteriorates really badly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then they decide to call in Father Merrin, played by Max von Sydow, in aged in ageing makeup, which... Because Max von Sydow wasn't that old then. He was probably in his 40s, maybe a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Is that the, um, um, is that the experienced the, man? Yeah. But, but his his performance in this movie is incredible because... Not only does he have aging makeup to make him look older, he also walks like an older guy. He walks like his hips are a bit knackered, mm. like his knees are a bit tired. Mm. Like he's like uh, he's been through a couple of exorcisms and come out slightly yeah, on the and come first out side. slightly worse yeah. for wear. Yeah. Um, so his performance is is great. Yeah, all the performances are amazing, and again, just taking it so seriously. Yes. Can I interject with a couple of um, yes things from the chat? So number yeah. one, I was talking about the original of Let the Right One In. I don't think I've seen the remake. Which is called Let Me In. Oh, is it? Okay, okay. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's yeah, directed I mean, I, by Matt Reeves. I'd like to it see stars, it. It's um, supposed to be okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's not as good as the original. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was made very soon after the original because the original was such yes, a big hit. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, and but, it, The original, well yeah. worth a go, but if, if you're creeped out by stuff, it, it's going to oh, creep yeah. you out. Um, yeah, it's it's really creepy. And then all, uh, the only other thing I was going to say is that um, the, we should definitely go through the whole plot because this obviously is a spoilerific podcast, but also, yes, um, at least Kathy and possibly others have never seen it and will never watch it. So we have to help them. Understand okay, so it. so um, 
there's something else going on with Father Karras in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that is that when we first meet him, <clears throat> he seems quite avuncular. He seems fairly happy, but there's a sort of a dark, there's a dark shroud hanging over him in some way. We find out what that is, is that he goes to see his mum, who lives, you know, quite a long way away from the younger Georgetown. Priest? Pardon? Is this the younger priest? Yes. Right, right. <clears throat> uh, his mum lives quite a long way away from him. Uh, he goes to visit her. She's very elderly and quite frail. And we can see now what's weighing him down, and that is guilt. He feels guilty that he can't spend more time with her. Um, guilty that he doesn't give her enough attention. And then... He he has a dream. He sees her walking out of the subway, and then and then walking away from him back down the subway. He wakes up, and um, his uncle tells him that uh, she's recently died, and that absolutely destroys him. Right, right, right. That shakes his faith. You know, that shakes his faith. That shakes all of his belief. Um, at a time when he needs all of that to help him with what's coming. Mm. So. You know, you've got... Um, so he's having a f- crisis of faith right at the moment. He's having he? a crisis of faith. Chris McNeil is faith. at her wit's end. Um, the I think the only really solid person is Father Merrin, played by Max von Sydow. We don't really see him in Georgetown till the end. We see him at the beginning of the film, actually. So right. there's a really effective opening to this movie, a set in Iraq. So Merrin is on an archaeological dig... And um, oh yeah, opens in Iraq, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's shots of like dogs fighting, and it's really quite oppressive. Mm, the opening, mm. it's setting you up, isn't it? It's sort of setting you up for what's coming. Yeah, I'd forgotten um, about that. And he finds a statue, a part of a statue in the in the sand, that looks like something that he's seen before. And then he goes and stands in front of a larger version of this statue. And what he's looking at is the demon, uh, um, is a, a representation of the demon Pazuzu, mm-hmm. who's a Sumerian demon in, in sort of that, in that mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to, um, uh, to recognize it. And then he goes to see his boss and says, I need to leave. Something's happening, you know. I need to go. I need to head off. Okay. Uh, I'm just looking at the chat. It's uh, Kathy says. Does the guilt about his mother interact with possession? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So later on in the movie, um, when they are uh, when they begin the exorcism, I just I go back actually. So uh, when he goes to see his mother when she's still alive. She says to him, why you do this to me, Demi? And during the exorcism, she's speaking French. Reagan, Reagan changes to, to his mum's voice and says, why you do this to me, Demi? Yeah. And he loses, his, he loses his marbles. And Merrin is like, you need to not be listening to this. You know, it's, it's, trying, it's trying to mess with your head. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, the demon seeks to attack those around it and you make you know the ideal thing is two priests one of whom is old and and quite tired the other one who's who are having a crisis of faith 
are kind of perfect targets for its psychological mind games. Mm, yeah, and it, it yeah it attacks at every weakest point. Yes. Um, yes. Exactly. Yeah, that uh, that's one of the things that feels really authentic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, so there is. I'm trying to think now. So when Merrin arrives at the house, I'm jumping around in time a bit, but I'm sort of remembering. Mm. So it wasn't that long Sorry. ago that I saw this, but um, when Merrin arrives at the house, the demon screams his name and the whole house feels like it's shaking, mm. which is an incredible... I mean, that's the kind of thing that if someone were to do it today, it would feel hokey mm. and tired. So many of the, the things that happen in the film, I, I, even at the time, you wonder how on earth they managed to do it and it still feels serious. Yeah, it still feels serious, they, if, even though... When we describe it, yeah. them... They, it's going to sound hokey. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that it does, though. I think that it, it is... I think that if if it was hokey, then you'd describe it and say... Yeah, Cathy says, ooh, that is nasty, the demon speaking in the yeah. mother's voice. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it really is. There's a, a, I'll, just, I'll, I'll jump back again to the first time that Karis meets Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um or at least meets Reagan when she's possessed, because actually he meets her before that, when she's not. And I don't remember that. Um, In the hospital or something, was it? He says, no, I don't think so. I think maybe at a party, or that might be a different priest. Don't might know. be a different priest. Um, uh, he says, if you're the devil, then show me some power. That's not a wise and thing to say, is it? No, it's not, no. And a drawer opens on a chest of drawers and um, he says is that it and the demon says in time like I'll show you some more <laughs> in time now that's a very creepy moment very creepy moment. oh it's all creepy yeah it's all creepy um, yeah that- thank you dapper we can't read that one out unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> So Dapper said it, it's not it's not that it scares you, it's that it scars you. And this is something that um yeah. uh I think we've talked about before. Um where so there are some films, especially films you saw when you were maybe a bit too young to see them, where yep. um they leave a, a mark on you that you kind of regret having ever seen them. But but also that's kind of the mark of a, re- a really great film. Yeah, I don't regret. I don't regret watching it at a at a impressionable age. Um, I don't think I do either. I I think I watched it. I was a bit older. I watched the first time I watched The Exorcist. I watched it in a tiny little art house cinema after it had just been legalized. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. for video. I mean, I didn't watch it. In, I watched it in the cinema, but it had been legalized for video release. Right. And. Uh, so that would have been around about two thousand, I think. I guess so. And it was I was, when, it was in a little yeah. cinema with about ten seats. <laughs> right. It was like it was almost like a living room, but like a long thin room with a small screen at the end. Um so that was a good setting for it. I went to see it at the in the West End at a screening uh must have been um must have been about ninety six, ninety seven, because it occasionally went round on the cinema circuit for a brief tour. So I went to see it at the cinema, and that was an amazing experience. And then when James Furman retired from the BBFC, it was magically given a certificate. Because <laughs> Furman wouldn't, wouldn't give, us, give it a certificate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Um, what else to talk about? There's so much to talk about. The um, I think we maybe have talked about this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll go over it again, is that there are scenes in the film when people jump out of their skins in fright. Mm. Um, and it looks really authentic. And it's authentic because William Friedkin kept loaded blank guns on set. <laughs> and if he wanted a really good reaction from someone, he'd fire one. He's such a terrible man. <laughs> I know. He's a monster. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of instances of that. Uh, there's one when um, Chris McNeil goes up into the loft because there's a weird scratching sound going on up there. And she's got a candle and she's sort of looking around in the loft and, the, and then the candle goes really bright and she screams really loudly. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the gunshots mm. that scared her stupid. The other one is when uh, Father Karras is listening to the recording of Reagan's voice and then the phone rings and he jumps out of his skin and so do we because the phone rings on screen and that was a, a gunshot as well. So they, they probably went through the take a few times to get him a bit relaxed and then when they got to the bit they wanted he fired the gun and scared him stupid <laughs> and he got the take he wanted. And then to replace that they used some Foley. So they re-record the audio and... Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Oh, Foley. Yes, we all know exactly yes. what that is. We know what Foley is now. Yeah. Um... In the scenes in the bedroom, so the bedroom gets very cold. Yeah. And people are sort of, you know, they have foggy breath, dragon's breath. These days they do that with CGI. Not, uh, they didn't do that with this. They refrigerated the set. That's my favourite fact about The Exorcist. (laughs) It's incredible. Because they look so cold. Frozen. They look like they've been in that freezing cold room for hours, which of course they have. Yeah, so there's there's a famous shot where Karras is just standing there hugging his chest and he looks blue like his lips look blue because they are blue um yeah so you know freakin was going for absolute realism he's you know you have to live what's going on in here yeah the room looks dirty it looks smelly it looks like there's junk everywhere reagan is tied down with um uh, like uh, sheets to you know protect herself and everybody else and um so uh, the exorcism, they take a break. The exorcists take a break. Uh, Merrin goes back into the room on his own to prepare. And then um, Karras follows him in and finds Merrin on the floor, uh, dead of a heart attack. So, you know, he has... He's not a well man. He wasn't a well man before this process started. Mm. And the, the exorcism has really taken a lot out of him. Um, uh, there's a so just jumping back in time again sorry I'm sort of saving the climax it's alright yeah Um, there's a scene where um, where Reagan is levitating off the bed Mm. again sounds hokey is terrifying is terrifying and not at all hokey Uh, Merrin is um, doing the the incantation the ritual Mm mm-hmm He's expecting a response from Damien Karras, and Karras is just staring at Reagan floating. <laughs> and and Merrin waits, and he says, he turns to him and he says, the response, please, Damien. And um, da- and Karras says, amen. <laughs> Which is what he was supposed to say, like, 30 <laughs> seconds earlier. <laughs> so Merrin's, like, taking all of this in his stride. Mm-hmm. Like, he's seen all this before. Um, 
the bed shakes. Reagan makes sounds like animals. Um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I'm sure that people know this already because, you know, The Exorcist have been, has been spoken about a great deal, not least by Mark Comode on the radio and on he, he's done a couple of documentaries about The Exorcist because it's his favourite movie. Um, but the voice of, Ray, of, of possessed Reagan is not, Lin, is not um, uh, Linda Blair. It's a, a sort of golden age Hollywood actress called Mercedes McCambridge. Who um, William Friedkin was was struggling to find a voice actor to do the voice, um, and they sort of tried slowing down Linda Blair's voice. Mm-hmm. They tried putting effects on it, but it didn't really work. It sounded hokey. Mm-hmm. Um, and these days, that is what would happen. They would just change. It would be an, a computer enhanced voice, and you'd think, okay, yeah, it's a computer enhanced voice. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's a it's a totally different person's voice. So Mercedes McCambridge has a kind of 60-a-day Marlborough <laughs> voice, uh, which is used to incredible effect. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it sounds like a completely different person is speaking through Reagan. I think it's, it is. it's worth yeah. pointing out that the way that works, it doesn't yeah. sound like, oh, they've put a voice over this. No. It, it, it sounds and looks like she is speaking in this completely different voice, which yeah. has got to be testament a to like a lot of work going into all of it but b to the acting yeah linda blair's acting oh linda blair's acting is incredible yeah she delivers a fantastic performance in this movie you know you never for any moment uh, you i think um you know we're talking about the realism of it you're never taken out of the movie thinking oh that would never happen no you know it's uh it's not that kind of film no uh, at all no. uh, other tr- other trivia fact so there's a fa- I'm sure people know this but there's a famous bit where, where Reagan's head turns round uh, 360 degrees back on itself sounds hokey sounds hokey isn't oh is- it's amazing that bit I mean that bit oh I can still remember the first time I saw it her head turns around and then she says a really horrific thing which we can't say on on the air uh-huh. um uh, but it's the only thing, it's a thing that's related to someone, that, actually, I'll, I'll jump back in time again in a minute, but um, that sound was a very old leather wallet, so a bit of foley here again, mm-hmm. a very old leather wallet, and they twisted it to get that <laughs> sound. So foley artists on top form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we've got to understand, listener, the, the, the film builds up from, as as Andy described, from... Um, a film which is like normal life, you know. There's a there's a, a strangely behaving child, and and they're trying to get help, and everything's very material and ordinary, and it builds, yes. and then some scary things happen, and some of the scary things that happen early on are the kind of thing that could happen from someone just being a bit uh, mentally ill, or you know, yeah. or even just a really badly behaved child or something and then it, and it builds so subtly um, and with this documentary feel you know not wobbly camp but like the feeling that you're there watching the real action that you're swept into very very supernatural things like a head turning all the way around 
without yes. ever it, without it breaking atmosphere from where it was at the beginning. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it never it never um, never loses its focus. It's it's a tightly focused film. It's a tightly wound film as well in terms of its tone. Mm, mm. In that it grabs you and it doesn't let you go. Even when there's not much going on, and there are scenes when there's not much going on, it's still got a tight stranglehold on you. Mm. And something um, I think it shares with the Omen films is that it's set in this um, Christian worldview, and it doesn't um, it doesn't step out of that. It stays within a sort of conventional um, uh, Christian theology, would you say? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say theology, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It doesn't feel the need to go all um, all horror filmish, you know? It just it depicts these events as if they really happened. Yes, exactly, yeah. Uh, Dapper says, Andy's, when are you going to talk about the crucifix? Never on this podcast is the answer. Um, I think we'll talk round it. I'd like to talk round it a little bit. Okay, so let's talk about the scene that, the, the, the thing that sort of drives that scene. And that is actually, that's the scene where, where Reagan's head turns around. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, hang on. There's another one from Dapper. True or false, production on The Exorcist was riddled with problems from the start. As shooting began in 72, the set used as the home of Reagan McNeil burned down. Eerily, the only part to remain untouched. That is false. <laughs> that is false. Um, it, did go along for, it did go on for a long time, though, the shoot. It, was, uh, it wasn't troubled, though, particularly. It just took a long time. Um, what, what were we talking about? What are we talking about? Yeah, so the scene, yes. So that scene comes out of a moment of quiet downstairs in the house. We then hear a great deal of noise coming from upstairs. So they've they, have they gone for a rest or something? Yes, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, there's silence, and then there's an almighty racket coming from upstairs. We hear Reagan's voice, then we hear the demon's voice. And then Chris McNeil goes upstairs and finds Reagan doing something with the crucifix that we can't talk about on this podcast. I'm sure if you look it up on um, on YouTube or something, or you'll find it. Mm. Uh, then there's, there's, a, there's a scene where Reagan backhands her mother across the face and basically throws her across the room. That was done with a rope attached to Ellen Burstyn's back, so a harness right. that someone would then pull. We don't see the rope because it's out of shot. Mm. Um, they did one take, and Ellen Burnsy said, oh, that was quite hard. So William Freakin went over to the guy who was doing it <laughs> and said, make sure the next one's harder. <laughs> we're basically, we're basically, we're talking like Stanley Kubrick levels of manipulation here in terms of, uh, we'll go back to the sh- talking about The Shining. Stanley Kubrick basically tore down Shelley Duvall's personality. He made her feel like she was utterly worthless to get the pos- performance that he wanted out of her in The Shining mm-hmm. we can talk about how that is morally probably wrong we've got a couple of things to talk about maybe towards the end um, so uh, yes we, so did, we, we did the head spinning scene so we're getting to sort of the, the climax we built up from a kind of um, yes. very 
realistic feeling thing to something that still feels realistic, but the events are now extremely extreme. Yep. They are extreme. Yeah. So the, so the, uh, Karras is worried about Reagan's heart. So the exorcism seems to be affecting her physically very mm-hmm. badly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not sure that they can carry on, but Merrin goes back in. Merrin has a heart attack and dies. Karras then uh, proceeds to physically attack Reagan, mm-hmm. and um, because he is angry that that Merrin is dead, and he uh, he implores the demon to possess him instead. Now this is quite interesting because my my feeling about what's going on throughout the film is that the demon is getting increasingly desperate, right? Yes, so they, I think it is. They yeah. are succeeding. It's it's difficult and challenging, yeah. and it kills one of them. Yeah, but they are actually they must be scaring this demon, or it wouldn't be escalating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think it is getting desperate. So you know, but the, then he uh, gives up. He then gives up. And says, possess me instead, which it does. He then manages to take control of himself long enough to throw himself out of the window. And he falls down several flights of concrete stairs to the bottom. Where uh, an ambulance is very quickly called, as police arrive. And his friend, Father Dyer, arrives to perform the last rites. Uh, and it appears that Damien, well, Damien does die. So he mm-hmm. dies at the bottom of the stairs and saves Reagan. And I, I assume that that's uh, referencing a story about Jesus, where Jesus ordered the uh, a load of demons into some pigs and then they ran into the sea and died. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that. So that's a very weird story. But yeah, the there's, I mean, actually, it's related to the word legion as well, which is the the other book. Well, that is, yeah. I mean, Legion is directly referencing yeah. referencing the exorcism that Jesus performs in the Bible. Yeah, so that, I'm pretty sure it's that person who says le- there's Legion. Call me, call me Legion for we are many. Because there are many demons in there. Those are the demons that get put into the pigs, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that makes sense. And then they yeah. run down the hill and all die, run into the sea, I think, or something. And then the people of that area send Jesus away because they're scared of him and also because he killed all their pigs. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> you killed my pigs, my livelihood. Yeah, and you're quite scary. Yeah. Um, so he dies, and then there's a very powerful moment at the end of the movie when the McNeils are moving out of the house, obviously. You don't want to be staying there again. And Father Dyer goes to visit to say goodbye. And um, Reagan looks at him like, I kind of know you. Because of his clothes. Because she thinks she knows him, but mm. she doesn't know him. Mm. Mm. She thinks he's Damien, even though she's never actually met Damien as Reagan. Right, right, right. So she's all um, fine at this point. Yeah, she's fine. Yeah, I mean, she's still looking a bit beaten up, but she's fine. So you know, he saved her. Yeah, Damien saved her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he sacrificed himself. Which I think, given the fact that he lost his faith uh, and he was in psychological crisis was really the only way the film could have ended mm. that's that's how the book ends as well yeah so in a way the demon sort of broke him but then he overcome that being broken to yes. give his life for um 
yeah. for this child. Which Kathy is re- is relating in the chat, not just to the story about the pigs, but also to the story of Jesus's death for the sins of the world. Which is, of course, the story of most films, right? Like most yeah. Hollywood films yeah. have the Somebody main character die to yeah. save everyone. Yeah, yeah, including things like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, we can we can uh, include those. Um, the so, uh, the yes. other thing Kathy says, yeah. which, uh, well, we'll get on to meta, meta things, but Kathy is also saying, um, in this worldview, killing the priest isn't so bad because the priest's going to go to heaven. But I'm not totally clear about that. I almost feel like he might have given himself up to go to hell in order to save this girl. That's interesting I'm you should sure, mention that. Well, uh, I, I mean, can we talk about Legion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so Legion is set much later in time so it's set during i think i think it's set in the time period that it's written so uh 90s um maybe late 80s so there's a character in the exorcist we'll jump back in time again called lieutenant kinderman he's a police lieutenant lieutenant actually american Mm -hmm. and um uh so the the things that reagan says uh, after she backhands her mum across the room is a thing that only one person could have known that person is dead and that person uh, uh, fell out of Reagan's window and broke his neck it was twisted round mm-hmm. that person is um, the film director that was working on Chris McNeil's movie a guy called Bert Dennings who's a racist and a bit of a drunk well he is a drunk and a racist. He he racially abuses um, Chris McNeil's housekeepers, who are German. He's not a very nice man. Um, but he he turns up outside Reagan's window with his neck turned round, mm-hmm. and uh, Kinderman starts to think, "Well, okay, what's going on here? How how come this guy ended up out there? What was he doing in her bedroom?" Uh, and he can't understand how. Um, how how Bert Dennings' head has been turned around like that. Mm-hmm. A very strong man, you know. He says, only a very strong man could have done this. Mm-hmm. I don't think Reagan could have done this. So mm-hmm. who did it? So uh, he he forms a relationship with Karras and also with Father Dyer. Um, and in Legion, that relationship is still strong. So he still meets up with Father Dyer. Uh, these are played by different actors now in... The, in um, is, is, Father Dyer, is it Father Dyer the third priest? Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. The other two he's one, yeah, the other two are dead, but we see him occasionally in the movie. Um, he's a family friend, Father Dyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still friends. They go and see A Wonderful Life at the cinema and hang out and talk theology and, and sort of um, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, Kinderman is, is very funny. You know, he's really, really a funny Jewish detective. Uh, Father Dyer is kind of more pragmatic but they seem to get on really well Mm -hmm. they share a friendship with Damien Karras because they were both friends with him Mm -hmm. Um, and then Legion uh, the the plot kicks off when some weird supernatural stuff starts happening again in Georgetown Kinderman takes an interest in the case because you know there's been some murders Uh, he goes to the um, the psychiatric ward he's walking down the corridor where the cells are where the where the solitary cells are and 
he hears someone say, save your servant. And he recognises the voice. It's Damien Karras. Mm-hmm. But it can't be Damien Karras. Mm-hmm. And he looks in the cell and it is Damien Karras. And uh, he appears to be alive. Mm-hmm. But he's not himself. Um, so what, what transpires is in Legion is that uh, Karras did die, but the demon possessed him again and reanimated him. Mm. And the demon is... Um, now I'm trying to think uh, the name of the... It, it becomes a mass murderer, basically, in Karras's body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit like the Zodiac Killer, so um, in California, but this is obviously on the East Coast. I can't remember what they call it now. Um, and he always leaves a, a mark on someone's... Gemini Killer, that's it, the mm-hmm. Gemini Killer. Always leaves a mark on someone's hand to show who it is. Mm-hmm. But then disappears... Uh, this killer. So the, the, these murders happen in the 1970s and then nothing. Um, and uh, so Karras is um, is in the Legion, you know, as a character, but he's pos- he's possessed Karras, basically. Right. Right. And then some really weird stuff happens and it's, um, Legion is a terrific book. It's, a, it's more of a psychological horror book than The Exorcist mm. is. Um, there's no actual exorcism in Legion. Okay. Um, it's all down to Kinderman to try and figure out what the hell's going on and try and put a stop to it. Which is interesting because then you've got, you've got a, a, a sort of a clash between good old-fashioned police work, Kinderman's sort of Jewish worldview versus this Catholic, um, you know, sort of Christian stuff that's going on that he doesn't really believe in, but he doesn't really have any choice mm-hmm. to try and believe what's happening. There's a feeling in the reality. like that in The Exorcist as well. Yeah, no one, yeah. no one there is looking to believe in the supernatural. They just can't really avoid it. No, exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, Legion is really good. It's a really good read. Uh, the Exorcist Three, which is the movie that was made of it, is at times very effective, but does have a hokey, tacked-on ending that was made at the behest of the studio because they said. You've got a movie called The Exorcist 3, but there's no exorcism. <laughs> so they tacked an exorcism on, which just doesn't really work very well. Mm, that's a pity. Um, but if you can get past that, it's a really good watch. Mm. It's very creepy. Maybe read the book. Yeah, the book is really good. The book is a classic, I think. Okay, so... Um, yeah. Go. So, so off, off topic a bit, though. Yeah. So, yeah. number one, the first thing we need to address is... Yes. Uh, why does this deserve to be in the list? Um... I think of all the films that are in the list, it's the most influential in terms of spawning countless, well, sequels, uh, a TV series. There were two TV series with the name The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, so many demonic possession movies have been made since then. It's a huge, huge influence. And it's it's casts a huge shadow over... Um, any kind of supernatural movie that was made since 1973. Mm. Uh, and for me, it is the best horror movie of the 20th century. I think by, it's... By oh. quite a country mile, right, I'd right, say. Right. You know, I think that Alien is is a fantastic movie and beautiful looking and and also very influential and groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's elements of Alien that wouldn't exist without The Exorcist. Right. I, so there's... I think you know, I there's, just... 
not in terms of possession, but in terms of like jump scares and mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. things hang together. And the, Alien yeah. would be a different movie. Yeah, and Alien has the similar sense of taking itself seriously. I think. Yes, definitely. Yes. Um, yeah. I've been thinking, and I think that The Exorcist is probably the scariest film on the list. Do you agree? Yes. Uh, I think it it definitely is. It's yeah, really it's scary. scary. It really gets under your skin. Properly scary and properly moving. Um, fantastic performances across the board. Yeah. Particularly from Linda Blair, who who then suffered from, you know, being offered. Oh yeah, do you want to be in a demonic possession movie? And you know, her career just kind of tanked. <laughs> I mean, I think I think she did do some movies as an adult, but nothing that you would consider to be interesting. Um, Dapper says it should be on the list because he watched it on his first date with his now wife. Dude, first date movie. <laughs> wow. That is, uh, well, if she stayed around after that, then she's a keeper. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't that think, is amazing, yeah. I don't think I would have chosen that. Yeah. Well, you've got to go for something um, something serious. But in terms of its scariness, I think... Um, rooting itself so firmly in the Christian worldview, uh, uh, as and as part of a Christian culture, I think that you know, that can be a winner for being scary. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dapper yeah. mentioned earlier that it it sort of interacted with the journey of his uh, faith and and loss of faith himself. I certainly think, as a Christian myself, it I've that made it more scary um, for me. Yes, yes, but definitely. Yeah, it's, we're, we're all seeped in that um, mythology. Oh, yeah, whether we like it or not. It makes it, um, gives it an edge. It does give it an edge. It gives it a real-world edge because... Steeped, you know, not think, seeped. We're all steeped in that mythology. <laughs> we're not there's seeped. A, there's a strong supernatural element to Christianity, <laughs> Yeah, I think. And and the exorcist, the exorcist just builds on that. Yeah. Yeah. and reinforces it which is it's i think that's its master stroke really yeah and there's something really um something particularly creepy about stuff that's rooted in in uh years of experience you know the bloke who comes along and he's seen all this before yeah um he uh that he, you know that that gives it the extra edge of real of realistic feelingness that it's not yes. it's not someone coming along and saying oh i've got this new idea it's like this ancient no, he says idea. something interesting actually when when him and Karras first meet Karras is giving him the background to what to the demon and to the case Merrin isn't really listening to him and Karras says I think there are four distinct personalities he begins to list them mm-hmm. and Merrin cuts him off and says no there's only one <laughs> and Karras uh, just shuts up it's like okay, <laughs> you clearly know what you're talking about. Does the um, does the demon claim to be the devil? It does, yeah. Right, right, right. Which is obviously a lie. Yeah, I think that is um, presented as that. Uh, that is a lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, you know we talked about the performances. But I think Ma- Max von Sydow's performance is a career best for him. I mean, he's been in some great movies, but I think to play Merrin aged. With in the makeup, uh, he never drops out of character, either physically or with his voice or the way that he holds himself. 
that's quite a task. I think, mm. with, you know, especially with a shoot as long as this one, it must it's difficult to remain in character all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can... You can't put anything above Linda Blair's performance, though. No. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable, yeah. You know, even when she's... Um, when, when she's not possessed, before all of this stuff kicks off, you know, she's like sweetness and light and and that's why uh, I think when the possession happens it's heartbreaking because she's you know she's she's like Chris she's the apple of Chris McNeil's eye mm-hmm. and to see her sort of descending further and further into this pain and suffering is too much to bear for her mother mm. um, and that's why you know she seeks other avenues to try and sort it out Okay, um, so that's why it deserves to be in the list. Yes, definitely. And that's yeah. why it deserves to be number one. Yeah. So then let's get on to some of the, the questions that some of which have come up in um, the chat and something okay. questions I had. First of all, more of a detailed question: Is there any link between the name Damien here and the name Damien in the Omen? No. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not as far as I know. Yeah, I mean it, no. It, it, I I wouldn't have thought so either. Um, so, uh, next question, um, which Kathy's been asking asking about a couple of times, um, which is about how directors treat their actors—not just horror yeah. directors, but potentially partic- anyone, particularly horror directors, maybe. Yeah. Um, is it necessary to treat your actors badly to make a good film? In that case, is it fundamentally immoral to make a good film? Um, well, there are plenty of directors who say that it's not necessary to do that. So Nora Ephron, who's, who I think is a very fine director indeed, has made things like um, You've Got Mail and um, Sleepless in Seattle. There's a couple of um, good rom-coms there. Yeah, those are both films that I'd rather nail my head to the table than watch. Okay, but, you know, they are popular movies. Okay. And Nora Ephron says it's absolutely not the case that you need to do that to your actors. Mm-hmm. You must respect them. Um, you know, you tell them when they come to work and you tell them when to finish and you don't make them work long hours and you get good performances out of them. Um, at the other end of the scale, you've got your Stanley Kubricks and your William Freakins mm-hmm. who um, will go to great lengths to get what they want. Mm-hmm. So is Friedkin, is this normal for Friedkin? Uh, I think it is normal, yeah. I think he's exacting. Yeah, and Kubrick was obviously exacting in different ways in that he really liked to uh, do lots of takes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he just exhaust his actors doing loads and loads mm-hmm. of takes. Right, but I mean, there's what, it's one thing to exhaust people. Uh, it's also, it's, it's another thing to um, scare them in order to get a good performance because I imagine actors are hoping to get a good performance. So... Um, even though, like, it might be slightly unpleasant for a gunshot to go off, yes, um, it's also like helpful if it gives means you give a good performance. But if yeah, you're yeah. psychologically destroying someone in order to get a good performance, that seems out of order. Um, yeah, I think it probably is. But every time I think of that, I think, but if they didn't do that, then the performance isn't there. Um, and we wouldn't have the movie that we have. Mm, it's only The Shining, though, isn't it? It's not that good. Uh, dude. 
Yeah, I'm well, we'll get on to that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> next epi- next episode, to... we'll yep. talk about what my top ten would be, uh, what films were left out. Um, I'm just looking through some of the comments here, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Dapper shared, um, shared, shared, that um, uh, Karras taunts the demon when he first meets Reagan. He mm. says, uh, if you're the devil, then break your bonds. Bre- you know, break off the bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, and the demon says that would be far too. Uh, I think what does he say? A, um, far too a something display of power. Vulgar. Vulgar. Yes, right. I think it is vulgar. Yes. Right. Well, that's a great excuse. It is, isn't it? It's like I can't actually do it, but I'm just going to say yeah. this instead. Kathy <laughs> yeah. says we need to bring in Hitchcock about mistreating actors, especially women. Uh, yeah, I think Hitchcock was famous for that. Was he? Yes, um, particularly women. Yeah, so there's a strand running through here. There's definitely a bullying men, bullying who, who misogynistic feel they need to men. Mistreat the women on their set in order yeah. for, to achieve some goal that they believe is important. Yeah, I I would say that Friedkin is an equal opportunities bullier. <laughs> uh, in that he based pretty much bullied everybody on the set of The Exorcist. So a listener's wife has brought up. A topic that um, that I was planning to bring up, which is slightly related to this, but more specific about The Exorcist, which is yes. um, Linda Blair um, was how old when this was shot? 12, 13, I think. Around about 12. Yeah. Um, she says some things that no 12-year-old should say. Should say, yes. And she mimes some things which no 12-year-old should be forced to mime. Yeah, um, and I I wonder whether you know how much she was protected and um, whether it had a traumatic effect on her and so on. As far as I know, and you know, having having read some interviews and and seen some interviews with Linda Blair, uh, she was very well protected from it. So you know, in the bits where you know things are said which which she really shouldn't be saying, she would mime the words. She wouldn't say them. Now, and I suppose you still have to figure out what's being said. Um, but I don't, you know, I think that, that if she was badly treated, we would have known about it by now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It would be on the record by now. And, um, I don't think she was. Cathy mm-hmm. says, lol, re equal opportunities, bullying. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I'm sounding a bit ethically dubious. Yeah. You're sounding like you think it's okay to mistreat people a bit, so long as you get a good film out of it. Well, I kind of do, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that if people go into a movie knowing what they're getting into, so you know, The Shining, people knew that they were working with Kubrick, who was who is exacting and would just keep you going until you fall down. You go into that with your eyes open, you're an adult. Right. Well, that wouldn't apply to Linda Blair. No, it wouldn't. But but there would be very specific rules about working with children. Uh, even on a set like The Exorcist, there's specific rules about how long they can work and whether you can work them until they're exhausted. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 if if there was a way uh, of making this film without traumatising her and without her understanding what was going on, that would be a lot easier to swallow, wouldn't it? Because yes, yes. It, it, on the face of it, it looks like that would, would have been very difficult to do. Maybe difficult, but not impossible. Maybe. I mean, I, I guess they use yeah. pretending 
clever ways in films to make it look like stuff's happening that isn't. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, it's it's not for real. It's a movie. Yeah, um, it's very extreme. I mean, it. it I don't know how much think, of it's directly yeah. out of the book, but Friedkin clearly wanted to get the uh, pretty much all of it is. Right. Yeah, well, yeah he wanted much, to get yeah. the most extreme thing he could onto the screen. Yeah, definitely. And um, uh, I think that the adults in the movie knew what they were getting into mm-hmm. with Freakin, and they they probably thought, "Yeah, I'm up for this." I mean, it is slightly art is slightly more complex than some things, right? So if you were uh, if you were uh, coal mining and um, you were doing something ethically dubious, perhaps coal mining is ethically dubious. I don't know. Maybe. Um, or if you worked for a um, a PR agency and you're doing something ethically dubious. Apparently, I'm sounding a bit pre-me too now. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kathy's saying there's more to it than just you go into things with your eyes open. There is certainly pressure to um, succeed in your career and, um, and not to be uh, frozen out of things and stuff like that. I think that um, I think that if I were referring to scenes of of adults being sexually exploited, then she'd be onto something. I think Kathy might be onto something, but I don't think she is. I think Kathy's barking up the wrong tree there. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very woke. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, it, it, what I was getting round to slowly was art. Um, when when you do art, quite often you have to do things which are considered morally dubious because. Um, that's how our moral sense moves on as a society, often through artists pushing the boundaries and showing us that we we were wrong about um, how we were treating things and the true, the truly right or ethical viewpoint is different. Yeah. Um, so I think art sometimes does um, push uh, push ethical boundaries in ways that are quite uncomfortable. Um, I don't think that means that you've got a license to anything you like and... Um, yeah, I don't know I how think, that fits in with bullying I think uh, that women. <laughs> women, but, you know. My microphone stand is on the move. <laughs> Maybe it's possessed. <laughs> I'm just going to have to adjust that. Um, I think that, you know, the, the whole thing about Me Too is to do with, you know, we talk about, you know, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein asking actresses to go meet him in a hotel suite. Uh, which is quite common, which was and maybe is still quite common practice. Uh, and that's, you know, to me, I think people saying uh, things about those those actors and saying, well, they went into it with their eyes open is extremely mor- morally dubious. I think me saying it about actors who were on set with a director and being, you know, asked to do kind of extreme stuff and endure stuff like that is a different kettle of fish really right so um behavior that could be seen as bullying in order to get a good performance you're saying is different from behavior which is exploiting people for uh, gratification rather than for yeah although kathy's not letting it go she's saying it's mainly about it's not about sex it's about power yeah it is about power it is absolutely about power yeah i agree with that it's about men abusing their their status to get what they want. 
Yeah. So I mean, you could you could certainly imagine someone like Hitchcock um, being horrible to people because he was in a position of power in order I think to gratify it's been, himself. I think it's been well documented that Hitchcock did do that. So uh, perhaps uh, perhaps it depends on uh, depends on which film, which director, which relationship we're talking about. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I mean, Freakin I mean, certainly if, has got a reputation as someone who pushes himself as far as his actors. Um, yep, he does, and um, you know, for for good or ill, that's what he does. Uh, that may be why he hasn't. He doesn't make many movies these days. Um, in that people won't fund him and finance him anymore. Uh, but he has, you know, he's been responsible for a handful of some of the greatest movies ever made. So, yeah, so that leads me on to the next point, which is, so I was talking about art, and there are films, uh, we've had this conversation before, that there are films which are just not sufficiently art to justify the the area or the violations or whatever that they cover. Horror films is a weird thing, because often, normally, horror films cover topics which are kind of, would be wrong to cover if you weren't making art, in my opinion. Yeah. If you were doing it for um, sort of leering gratification reasons. So the I, I was disturbed when I watched The Exorcist. Um, I found it sort of morally dubious and so on and so on. And the thing which leads me to to say that it's good is that I consider it art and... Uh, um, really, really important and good art, and that that justifies um, covering that kind of uh, dodgy topic and and those difficult things. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading the comments again. Kathy said, "On the other hand, how much better could Sleepless in Seattle have been if she had bullied them a bit?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much better could it really have been? Well, I don't really know. Not a I mean, lot better. May- maybe significantly better. Maybe worse. I mean, I can't imagine that um, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan would put up with that for long. Well, can we can we just move on from Sleepless in Seattle? We're wasting time to talk about good films. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, we we need we can't go on forever. We and we also need to fit in some plugging. There, I'm going to I'm going to do one more question from the chat. Okay. Um, because I think we've covered the things I had. I think the questions I had really were about, especially about Linda Blair. Um, like, was she looked after? It sounds like she was. Um, uh, so, the last question from the chat is, why is it called The Good Robot Andes and not The Good <laughs> Robots Andy? <laughs> okay, it's a reference to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. No way. Way. Uh, in which um, Bill and Ted get killed by... I had two, to explain this the other day. <laughs> two bad robot usses. So they're like, they're evil robot versions of Bill and Ted who are there to mess up Bill and Ted's time stream. Bill and Ted go to, oh no, they go, they meet the Reaper, played by William Sadler. And um, oh, the Reaper, they, they beat the Reaper at various games, including Battleship, Twister, uh, Cluedo, <laughs> etc. And because they beat him, uh, the Reaper is forced to take them to heaven and give them a second chance at life. Uh, at which they get, they also get. Um, we don't need someone, all this backstory. <laughs> anyway, 
No, they do. They do. They get access to someone called Station. 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 Who builds them. Uh, they, he, who builds robot versions of Bill and Ted. Who they call the good robot usses. Oh, I thought they reprogrammed them. No. Well, they get new ones. Okay, okay. They get new ones. Okay. Because at the end of the movie, the, the good robot usses fight the, the bad robot Bill and Ted's. And bad robot Bill and Ted say, Dude, I think we have totally met our match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, so the good robot usses. Yes. Is what they call them. And they, and they say, Go the good robot usses. And then they yeah. high five each other. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, that, and they do, and they do the, the air guitar thing. Diddly scrawl. Uh, diddly scrawl. And uh, yeah, and so we, we find the good robot us is a humorous uh, idea. So uh, Yes, we do. That's that's why we made our name at Be the Good Robot Undies. Indeed. Um I've got I've got five minutes left. Cool. Well you better do some plugging. I'm gonna do some plugging. Also do a thank you mm-hmm. to um to thank you to Leah for uh giving us some big ups. Uh, she retweeted our our live podcast. Yeah, um, Leah who? Let's give Leah Mansfield. Leah Mansfield, who uh, I hiked myself and my wife hiked the Inca Trail in 2014, and Leah Mansfield was there, and we've been friends ever since uh, via the miracle of social media. And um, oh, where was I going with this? Yeah, so she retweeted retweeted our live broadcast tweet. Which was very kind. Yes, it was. She's a comedian in Los Angeles. So if go, you're ever in, ever in Los her. Angeles, you should seek her out. Her Twitter uh, profile says you can fit her in your pocket, but please don't. <laughs> it does say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really have any other plugging, actually. Right. Well, I guess we, one other thing that we can plug is that if this uh, live episode was judged to be a success, we might do more live episodes. <laughs> Or we might leave it forever. (laughs) How would we judge it a success? Well, I guess we'll see whether we get any feedback. Okay. Um, I want to say um, thank you to the three, count them, three people who bothered to turn up um, for the live episode. It's been very exciting and fun. Yes. Um, And uh, other than that, I just want to plug... um, the Good Robot Andes, or sorry, the at Good Robot Andes on Mastodon Social, um, or any uh, anywhere else on the Fediverse, you can find at Good, Ro- Good Robot Good Robot Andes at Mastodon Social, or if you must stay with a legacy platform, you can find uh, at Good Robot Andes on Twitter. Go to artificialworlds.net slash Good Robot Andes. Uh, yes, I do think all those true crime channels are <laughs> utterly immoral, but if they were art, I wouldn't think so. I'm yes. not sure it's art, but I like it. <laughs> yes, we definitely should do our um, uh, episode where we're going to watch. Well, we're going to watch Wayne's World and Wayne's um, World. Yeah. yeah. So now we should extend it to what, be watching Wayne's World and Bill and Ted One if we must, and then Bill and Ted Two because we must. I think we should skip Bill and Ted One and go straight to Two. I watched Bill and Ted One the other day with my kids, and I must and? say it's not very woke either. <laughs> They're, just, no, no, they're discussing no. on the chat that perhaps Wayne's World may not be so good now that we're woke. I think it still works, Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's maybe slightly uncomfortable. Maybe. It certainly does suck. We three, the people, 
<laughs> go the good robot asses. Go the good robot asses. All right. <laughs> well, thank you. That was the the thirty best horror films of the twentieth century. Tune in. Uh, in two weeks' time, maybe for a live episode, we'll let you know via those social media things. Um, uh, but e- even if it's not live, you can get it on the podcast feed, and we will talk about what was included, what wasn't included, where I disagree, um, what films by the same director should have also got in there but weren't allowed, and we'll see you then. Yes, we will. Thank you very much for listening and interacting. Uh, we love you. See you next time. Cheers. Bye.